may be seated. Well, as we turn to God's word now, the primary text for our message this morning is 1 Peter 3, verse 7, which tells husbands to honor their wives. And so we're going to look at why that is this morning, what that means for husbands to honor their wives. Um, The two other texts that we're going to go to are texts from 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, The main reason, this may seem strange to us, but the main reason why the Apostle Paul gives for husbands to honor their wives is because they are weaker vessels, he says, and that's why husbands should honor their wives. And 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 12 tell us why we as Christians honor the weak, why being weak among Christians is actually a reason to give more honor, to give more respect than we otherwise would. And so that's what I want you to see as we turn to those other passages. Um, And so Don will come and read for us first from 1 Peter, and then Paul from 1 Corinthians 1, and then Abby will come and read for us from 1 Corinthians 12. So, Don, if you want to come up now to begin our reading from God's Word. Due to technical complications, we could not record the reading of these texts by our members. Instead, what follows is audio from the free ESV Audio Bible. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 31. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Well, as we come to God's Word this morning, First uh, Peter 3, verse 7, I think, calls for uh, a special kind of gospel clarity. Otherwise, it can be very easily misunderstood. So I want to begin the message this morning just by trying to gain some of that gospel clarity, and then we'll see how that gospel clarity leads us to a right understanding of First Peter 3, verse 7. Now, the most central work for every Christian is to believe the gospel. If you want to know how to become a Christian, the answer is very clear and very simple. The answer is to believe the gospel. If you want to know how to stay a Christian, the answer is very simple and very clear. The answer is believe the gospel. Believing the gospel is actually very hard work. Now, I didn't always think that way. I didn't grow up thinking that way, even though I grew up hearing the gospel. As I grew up, the the gospel that I most often heard was, I would say, truly the gospel, and it was probably just my hardness of heart that kept me from really seeing it. But what I had always thought of as being the gospel was essentially the fact that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. And so I saw the gospel as a set of historical facts. And because I was raised in the church, and because there actually is good historical evidence for these historical facts, I didn't see any reason to deny the gospel. And so for me, it was very easy, in one sense, to believe the gospel. I've affirmed since as early as I can remember that Jesus was a real man who really lived, who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross, who was buried, and who rose again three days later to newness of life. And so in that sense, I always thought that Believing the gospel was a pretty simple thing, and indeed, uh, not a very transformative thing either, because all it required me to do was just affirm that these certain set of historical facts was actually true. But as I, come to, as I came to understand the gospel more and more, as I came to read scripture for myself, read the New Testament for myself, read the Old Testament for myself, I came to see that believing the gospel was actually a lot more than just affirming that there was such a person as Jesus and affirming that he actually did die and was buried and then he actually rose again from the dead. I realized that in large part, what I was missing was the fact that Jesus' death was for me as a sinner. That when Jesus died, what happened is Jesus was essentially making a statement, making a claim over my life that that's what I deserved. That when he died, he was saying, I died because you, Robert Ivey, deserved death. And because you deserved death, that's why I had to die. And when I rose again, I didn't just rise again just to prove my power, to prove how great I was. I rose again because you, Robert Ivey, need a brand new life. You need something the equivalent of resurrection from the dead. (laughs) That's why I had to rise again. And so to believe the gospel essentially is not just to say that there was such a person of Jesus who died and who rose again, Yes, you must affirm those things, but you also must affirm that when Jesus died, that that's actually what I deserved. 
and that he died for me. He took my place. And when he rose again to newness of life, that's actually what I need. I don't just need self-help. I don't just need to change my own behaviors. I need someone outside to come to me and to rescue me. And that's why Jesus had to rise again from the dead. And so if, if we understand the gospel in that way, then we should be able to see why believing the gospel is so hard to do. It's so hard to do. We as human beings, our, our fundamental nature as sinners is to be proud, <laughs> is to think highly of ourselves, okay? And if we think highly of ourselves, that means that everything in us, all of our natural selves, will fight against the gospel, will not want to believe the gospel. Because as I've just described, believing the gospel means believing that I deserve death. It means believing that I deserve punishment upon a cross. But in our pride, we don't want to say that, do we? We want to say, I don't deserve punishment. I don't do anything wrong. I'm good. So no need to die for me. You know, I'm okay. You know, Jesus, maybe if you want to come and die for some of these other poor souls, that's a great thing. But don't say that you died for me because I'm good. And because of our pride, it means we're also creatures that really like merit. We also really like to be able to say that, oh, I did the right thing, therefore I deserve this thing over here. And yet, the gospel message, again, that Jesus died for us while we were sinners, because we were sinners, and then rose again from the dead, it just denies this whole system of merit. It says that when I get newness of life, when I get resurrection, it's not because I worked really hard for it. <laughs> it's not because I somehow proved that I was good enough to deserve this gift of new life in Jesus Christ. No, I got it precisely because I was a dead sinner and Jesus came in his mercy. And so again, in our pride, we don't want to believe that. We don't want to believe that God would just freely give us newness of life. No, we always want to look to our lives and say, okay, this week I did this thing right, so maybe God will reward me. Or I did this other thing right, so maybe God will reward me. And when we do that, we are totally forgetting the gospel. We are totally denying the gospel. We are saying that in our pride, we can somehow merit God's grace. We can somehow line up enough good works, line up enough good things that then we really will be able to come to God and say, look at me, God, look at what I've done. Where's my reward? And again, even though we might know in our heads that that's kind of foolish because God is so perfect and, and we are not, but our pride lies to our hearts every single day. And every single day, our hearts want to look for our own good works, want to look for things that make us valuable, that make us somehow inherently worthy of God's grace in some way. And so, if we are going to believe the gospel, what we have to do in the words of Scripture is we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. Now, what does it mean to die to yourself? Well, essentially, it just means that you are willing to admit that you really are a no-good sinner. <laughs> That's like putting yourself to death, right? That's putting your pride to death. Because what does pride want to say? Pride wants to say, I'm a good person. 
There's lots of good things about me. There's lots of reasons why people should like me because look at how good I am. That's what pride says. And so if we're going to put that to death, if we're going to kill pride, essentially what we must say, and again, as believers, we must say this daily. Sometimes, many times a day, we must say this to ourselves. We must remind ourselves, no, there's nothing good about me. There's no really good works that I have done. There's no beauty inherent in me that should make God love me, that should make others like me. Rather, the reason why I am worthy of anything, the reason why I have anything good, is simply because of the unmerited love that God showed for me. He died for me, like we read at Romans 5, the very beginning of this service. He died for me while I was a sinner. While I was a sinner. While I was weak, it says, Christ died for me. You see, when, when Christ came and died, he, he was not waiting for someone to take the first small step toward him, and then if we would just take a small step toward him, then he would die for us, or something like that. No, Jesus recognized how dead we were, how weak we were, how sinful we were. And because Jesus recognized just how miserable our condition was, how hopeless our condition was, that is why. He came to die. Beloved, that is why he came to die. So so we as Christians must never be afraid to just admit that we are wicked sinners, that we are messed up people. See, it is when we admit that, that then we are open to God's grace, then we are open to what Jesus came to do. It is when we deny that. It is when we say, nope, I've got this. No, I'm, I'm pretty good. No, I've got this nice quality. It is when we say things like that, that we positively shut ourselves off from the grace of God. But beloved, this is so, so hard to do. I recognize that even as I stand before you right now, even as I am preaching to you right now, there are a million thoughts swirling in the back of my head about good qualities that I have, about why people should like me, about good things that I have done. And I must discipline myself. I must remind myself every time those those subconscious thoughts come into my consciousness. (laughs) I must remind myself, no, Rob, don't take pride in this good work that you have done. Don't take pride in this good quality that you have had. As 1 Corinthians said, as we read, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in your goodness. Don't boast in your good qualities. If God gives you the gift of humbling you, of making you low, of reminding you that you are really not a good person, then give thanks to God for showing you what should be patently obvious to all of us, that we are sinful creatures and we need a Savior. Again, this is the daily work of the Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian, is to just acknowledge that fact that I am no good, I need a Savior, and then to look to that Savior daily. It is to embrace daily that we are weak and we are sinful. And only Christ is our righteousness. Only Christ is our goodness. And it is to embrace daily 
that even though we are weak, we are foolish, we are sinful, that even though that is the case, that God loves us still. That he's not waiting for us to be better, to be more perfect, to do the right thing, and then he'll shower his love on us. No. We acknowledge that even though we are wretched sinners, God's love shines on us still through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, if you have not embraced that reality yet in your life, embrace it this morning. It is the only source of life that we can possibly have. As long as you are living life on your own strength, in your own pride, thinking, I can get better, I can do this on my own, I can figure this out, as long as you are living life that way, you will not know salvation. You will not know power from God. You will not know resurrection life. But as soon as you are willing to admit, I have nothing. There is nothing good in me. I cannot do anything right. I mean, it sounds like a miserable statement to make about yourself. But the beautiful thing is that in Scripture, precisely when you are willing to make those statements about yourself, that is when you can finally see the love of God shining in full brightness. Again, that he didn't wait for us to earn it. He didn't wait for us to deserve it. Rather, he showed his kindness while we were still sinners. And so it's only if you believe this gospel message that you will have newness of life, that you have the strength to live that you need each day. And it's only as you believe this gospel message that this passage of 1 Peter 3, 7 will make sense to you. So if you still have your Bibles open, let's look at 1 Peter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, what I want to hone on in particular in that verse is when it says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, again, as I have just described the gospel message to you, the gospel message as it applies to every human being is that we as human beings are weak creatures. Now, insofar as that word weak applies to every human being, it means that we are morally weak. That is, we cannot do the right thing. That our hearts are twisted. Our hearts are depraved. They want wrong things instead of right things. That is our essential weakness. In fact, Scripture goes so far as to say that our weakness is actual deadness. Now, of course, I don't believe that that's what it means in application to wives in verse 7. It's not saying honor the woman as the weaker vessel in the sense that she is morally weak or something like that. I think that all the weakness that is implied here is just physical weakness, that women tend to be physically weaker than men. They can't, you know, lift as much weight. I think that's all that's implied here. And yet, if women are simply weaker in that way, if they just don't have the same level of physical strength that men have, then we should honor them. We should honor them. And why should we do that? Well, we should because we as believers have understood the gospel. We've understand how much greater weakness we have in the sight of God We understand that we're not just physically weaker than God, but we're actually morally weak. We're morally depraved. And if God 
would honor us in Jesus Christ, how much more should a husband honor his wife, who's only a little bit physically weaker than he is? I think that's how the logic of verse 7 is working here. But again, consider just how strange it is uh, for Peter to give his command here in this way. Again, when he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor as the weaker vessel. This is why I say you have to understand the gospel if you are going to understand this verse. The normal way, the human, the natural human way for this verse to be written would be to say, honor the woman as the stronger vessel, right? That's how humans work, right? Who do we show honor to? We show honor to people who are stronger, right? We show honor to people who have more authority, to people who have more accomplishment, to people who are bigger, more famous, more wonderful in some way. And the natural human way of operating and the prideful human way of operating, that's the way that we work. Honor goes to people who deserve honor. Certainly in the context Peter was writing in, when he was writing in the the Roman world, I mean, there's probably very few cultures in the whole history of the world where strength was more honored than in the Roman culture, right? In Roman culture, they absolutely despised the weak, right? If you couldn't fight, if you couldn't defend yourself, if you couldn't stand up for yourself and make a name for yourself, then what good were you, you know? Just get out of here. We don't even want you as a Roman if you can't fight, if you, can't, if you aren't strong. Who cares about you? And so it is in that context, in this context of this world that was so driven by prideful human operation, that Peter writes these words showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And so I hope that just as you read that command, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, I I hope your head is just a little bit confused when you hear that. Like, okay, why? Why show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. How does that make sense? And again, it only makes sense if you, yourself, personally, have received the gospel into your heart. If you yourself have recognized before God, God, I am weak. I am a sinner. I need help. In myself, I am dead. I can do nothing good. I am weak. And then if you've made that confession to God, and then if you've looked to the cross of Jesus Christ, and you say, God, thank you so much for bearing my weakness, for bearing my shame. And then you've looked to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you say, thank you, God, for giving me newness of life, for not just washing away my sins, but for actually giving me an inheritance, for giving me power from on high for giving me union with your very son so that I would become a child of yours. I didn't deserve any of this, but you gave me all of this. You gave me honor. And beloved, when that happens in your heart, when you see what God has done for you, when you've only come to him admitting sin, when that's the only thing that you've contributed to your salvation, and God has done all the rest, He's given you riches and honor and glory and immortality and eternal life all through Jesus Christ. Then suddenly, you start to look at the world in a whole new way. You see weak people around you. So husbands, 
You see your wives, and you see that your wives are physically weaker than you. But we all have examples in our lives, do we not, of people who are weak who are around us? I mean, just yesterday, I had to drive through downtown, and I saw three or four homeless people, and as soon as I saw them, I think, there is a weak person, right? Having to stand on the side of the road asking for money because they don't have a job, and that's the only way they know how to get money. There is a weak person. Maybe in your workplace, maybe you know weak people who just can't quite seem to perform the way that you think they should perform. We know people who are weak in a whole variety of ways. And again, the the worldly response to that sort of weakness, to seeing those kind of people, to seeing a homeless person, the worldly response is say, well, they better get a job, they better shape up. Man, how did they mess up their lives? Or the wicked husband's response to seeing A wife who's physically weaker, the husband says, well, why can't she do more? Why can't she work harder? I don't understand. Or to the person with the employee who isn't performing, the worldly response is, look at them, man, he better get his act together. But when we as Christians see the weak, because we have already acknowledged ourselves as weak, and because we have acknowledged what God has done for us while we are weak, our hearts are flipped upside down toward those who are weak. So then when I drive through downtown and I see homeless people, no longer is my first thought, oh, they better get a job, they better get their act together. But rather, oh Lord, help them. Is there any way I can help them? What can I do for them? God, you came to me while I was weak. I want to serve them somehow. Or when we see a wife who is physically weaker than us, who's tired from some hard labor, we don't say, all right, get back to it. We say, Lord, I'm so thankful that you gave me this wife as a weaker vessel and that you gave me the privilege of honoring her as a weaker vessel. This isn't something that's hard for me to do. This isn't something that I despise doing. It's a privilege that you've given me because I see how you have done this for me. So now I get to do this for someone else who is weak. And so do you see how understanding the gospel, believing the gospel, believing how Jesus died for you and applying that to your own heart suddenly changes how you interact with the weak who are all around you. And you also see how if you don't believe the gospel, then you will not act that way. Again, if, if your heart is prideful and you're not willing to say to God, Lord, I am a sinner through and through, would you have mercy on me? If you instead continually look to God and say, you know what, Lord, I've done a lot of good things in my life. Thanks for taking care of me. You know, something like that. You remember the the Pharisee who said, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men, right? That seems humble, right? He's giving thanks to God that, that he's not like other men. But that's not humble at all. He's just acknowledging how much better he is than others. So even though he's giving thanks to God, he's making a mockery of God's grace saying, Lord, I'm so much better than these other men. And beloved, it is possible for you, it is possible for you to go to church for many years, to hear the gospel many times, to again affirm this fact that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. You can affirm all those things, and yet in your heart, it's still possible for you to say, yeah, but I've done pretty good, and that's why God has been faithful to me. And if that is your heart, how will you know that is your heart? Well, I'd say you will know that is your heart by how you treat the weak. 
When you drive through downtown and when you see a homeless person, how does your heart respond to that homeless person? Is your first thought, oh, that person messed up, they better get it together. If that is your first thought, beloved, you have probably never really received the gospel into your heart. You've probably never really understood how weak you were how low you were before Jesus came and died for you, and how great a priceless gift that you have received through no merit of your own that God has given to you. Or you'll see it, husband, through how you treat your wife. Do you just look at your wife as a burden, as someone who can't keep up, as someone who needs to shape up? If that's how you look at your wife, you've probably never really understood the gospel. You've probably never really believed it. Because when you believe the gospel, that's when your heart changes toward those who are weaker. Kids, this applies to you too. When you go to the school, when you go to the playground and you see kids who are really weak, who don't quite fit in, what's your first thought? Is your first thought, man, that kid's weird. I hope I don't have to hang out with him. Or is your first thought, you know what, that kid is weird, but I'm kind of weird too and I'm not the greatest person ever, so maybe I could hang out with him. If that's your heart, then you've probably started to understand the gospel, what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And so in that way, the way we treat the weak reveals whether or not we have really come to know Jesus Christ, whether or not we've really come to admit our weakness and receive his riches. If you've admitted your weakness and if you've received his riches, then you will treat the weak likewise. And this is why I believe verse 7 tells husbands to honor their wives so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, again, at first glance, this might smack us as some kind of like works righteousness, right? Like the better we do, the more God will hear our prayers. As if that could be the case. But again, as I've explained the gospel, the gospel is not about the better we do, the more God rewards us, or the more he hears our prayers. No, we are given access to the throne of grace. We are given perfect access to God through Jesus Christ and through him alone. Not through anything that we do, not through any good works that we perform. The reason why you, Christian, can go to God in prayer, the reason why you should be eager to go to God in prayer, is because in Jesus Christ, God has said, come to me in boldness in the clothing of my son. I will not cast you out. I will hear every last cry that you have, every last groan that you have, every last request that you make. I will hear in the name of my son. We come to the throne in the name of Jesus alone. That's why we end all of our prayers in Jesus' name, right? Because we cannot be accepted into God's presence, into the throne room of God on our name or in anyone else's name on the name of some saint from generations past. No, we can only be accepted. We can only come into the throne room of grace by the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we always pray in Jesus' name. And so when verse 7 says, so that your prayers may not be hindered, I, I believe what it's showing us is if we are truly standing in the gospel, that is if we've truly understood what a priceless gift we've been given in spite of the fact that we are sinners. And if we are treating the weak in the same way, if husbands are treating their wives in the same way, then we show truly that we are standing in the identity of Jesus Christ. 
We are standing in Jesus Christ as the one who died for us, as the one who rose again for us. And when we are standing there, all of our prayers will be heard. As Jesus says, ask whatever you want in my name and that will be done for you. When we are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not our own, when we are, when we are admitting that we are dirty sinners and Jesus is all of our righteousness, then we come into the presence of God and God smiles as soon as he sees us and he hears every cry that we make to him. But when we try to come into God's throne room in our own merit, again, saying, God, look at all these good things I've done this week, you know, I attended church and I I did this for my wife here, I did this for my kids here, I did this for my employer here, you know, God, don't you have some reward for me now? When you come in your name, in your righteousness, God says, your prayers will be hindered. I will not hear you when you come in your own righteousness. I will not hear you when you come to me and you plead the blood of Jesus Christ, but then when you go out from my presence and you treat the weak as if they are not worthy of respect, as if they're not worthy of honor, you haven't really understood my grace to you. You haven't really understood my gospel. You aren't really coming to me in the name of Jesus Christ. You're still leaning on your own righteousness, your own pride, your own good works. And so I will not hear your prayers. Beloved, this is how much God cares about how we treat the weak. He cares so much that even if you come to God praying with the right formula, you know, acknowledging the right historical truths, even if you come to him in that way, if you are not treating the weak the right way, he will not listen to your prayers. But when you come to Jesus Christ in the gospel, admitting that you yourself are weak, and that Jesus has done everything for you, then you can also come into the presence of God, confessing your sins, confessing that you are not all fixed up, all working right, and that you need Jesus. And when you do that, God hears you. Every last cry that you make, he will hear and he will answer. And so, beloved, this is why Peter can say that we show honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, so that our prayers may not be hindered. So I just encourage you this morning to consider your ways. Firstly, have you really acknowledged your lowliness before God, your unworthiness before God, and have you seen how much God has freely given you in Jesus Christ? And how do you know whether or not you've done that? How do you treat the weak? Those who are weak around you, how do you think of them? Does your heart go out to them? Are you merciful toward them? Or are you hard-hearted toward them? The more and more we, as a body of believers, put on this gospel of Jesus Christ, put on our identity in Jesus Christ, the more we will care for the weak. The more we will be one body because we understand that even the weakest among us are deserving of the most honor and the most respect the same way that we were weak. And God showed us honor and respect. And so, beloved, let's turn the world on its head. Let's not just show honor to the strong and to the powerful, to those who deserve it. Let's show honor to the weak. Let's love those who are undeserving. And in that way, let us show the love that Jesus Christ has shown to us.